The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Paul Maskell. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Excited to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, Paul is an entrepreneur, and he specializes in putting systems, processes, and people in place in order to put any service-based business on what he calls autopilot. Uh, he has, he had, I should rather say, a successful corporate career. We're going to chat about that. But then as he explains it, the buzz of finance or that big finance job in the big city lost its luster. And that's when Paul went looking for more. Um, after taking two months off specifically to travel around South America, Paul decided to relocate to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where he's at now, and start a career that was rewarding to him. So in 2011, Paul invested in his first franchise business, combining his business experience and his passions for sports. And you'll understand that in a moment when we talk a little bit about what that franchise is and was. And over the next uh, four to five years, Paul grew his business from uh, the initial location to four locations of this franchise, impacting over a thousand kids each year with the programs that they offered. At the end of 2015, Paul was ready to make his next move. And so he sold his four franchises for over six times his initial investment and three times his net profit. So a tremendous return. And soon after, Paul was hired by the franchisor, the franchisor for the franchise that he owned to be in charge of business development. So in this episode, Paul's gonna share with us his entrepreneurial journey, how he got from the corporate world to owning his own business. He's gonna share some tips and advice on starting and growing a business. We're gonna talk about franchising, the benefits of franchising and why you may wanna consider that if you're looking for the first business to start and just general tips and advice. So once again, Paul Maskell, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Really excited to be here and chat with you about all the good things you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's start at the beginning, if we would, Paul. Um, you went to the University of Michigan and uh, got a finance degree. Did I get that right? That is correct. So what were what was your thinking back then in college? If you can take us back to that point in time, what were you thinking you would do career-wise or life-wise? Yeah, so I guess I just followed, I followed the status quo and I followed what everybody tells you to do, uh, which in retrospect wasn't the best path for me, but I'm glad I realized that pretty young and pretty early. Um, I mean, if you look at it, if you look at kids that are 17, 18 years old and you're, they're trying to decide what they want to do for the rest of their lives, I think that's crazy. So, mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that you have to go get a college degree and put yourself possibly in $100,000 worth of debt and then realize when you're 21 or 22 that that's not what you want to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not so confident in that system. So uh, luckily, I really did love finance. I always excelled in math. I loved business. I loved working. I had a job since I was 14. I just really loved that whole thing, which is probably why I went and got a finance degree. My mom worked in finance. Uh, so that's really kind of how I did it. And what you hear and see, you know, you're going to climb the corporate ladder. You're going to do this, that and the other live in the big city, you know, and it, to me, it just wasn't anything like that could also have something to do with when I started in the finance world, which is 2007 hmm. shortly before the massive meltdown. But even before the meltdown occurred, it was just, uh, it wasn't really for me. So that's really, really why I decided to make a change and uh, do what I really wanted to do, which was, and at that time, own my own business, which is what I still love and want to do. Uh, and this opportunity happened to be around sports. 
Yeah. But the owning your own business part of it, was that coming to you while you were in college or after? Uh, I think it always was with me. Um, but you don't really, there really is no, it's not like college where people tell you that's the route to success. Nobody tells you to like, this is what you need to do, or this is what you should do to become your own, you know, own your own business. Um, so I always really liked that. My dad always owned his own business, uh, actually in a service-based world he did, and he still does hardwood floors for, uh, for residential customers. So I really like that idea of being your own boss, but obviously everybody likes that idea. It's just not presented to you in a way that it's possible really. Um, so I realized pretty quickly that I, I, the risk wasn't as bad as everybody thinks it is. It's like, Oh my gosh, you're quitting your job. What are you going to do? You're going to start your own business. Are you crazy? Um, you know, so for me, it was always there. And then after doing a couple of years in finance, really the, the question that I asked myself was what is the worst case scenario? And it really wasn't that bad. I could always go back and get a job in the cubicle world, in the finance world, because those jobs are always going to be there. Uh, and I didn't want to regret not doing something. So I figured I'm going to do this, go all in. If it doesn't work, oh, well, I'm, I'm probably going to learn a lot of things along the way. And I can always go back to, uh, you know, working in corporate America. Yeah, no, it's, that's such a great perspective. But, but it's interesting because we, we also kind of contradict ourselves because thank goodness that you did have that degree to fall back on, right? And it's such a complicated thing. My daughter's a freshman now in college and we're going through some of those same challenges. To your point, we're asking an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old to make these long-term decisions and it's so overwhelming for them. But at, at least though, and you're absolutely right that and she's in an entrepreneurial program and still it's, you know, when you get to the corporate world is really still what they're saying. Um, but at least you had that to fall back on. But it's such a great perspective you had. And then I, I saw somewhere you wrote that, you know, sitting, you said sitting in a cubicle for 10 to 12 hours a day while staring at a spreadsheet and building someone else's business, that that's really where it got to you. And that that last part is so insightful, right? It re, You realized you were helping somebody else become wealthy. Exactly. And you realize that you're really not that important and you're really not adding any value to the world. So that was kind of the other thing, like, do I really want to do this for 40 years? And then when I do retire, say, what did I contribute to this world? Really not much. I was doing something for some shareholders or for the CEO, which is fine. But for me, I wanted more more than that because, you know, you, you only get to live once. So I could always like I said, you could always go back to that. And I think even hitting back onto your point. It is nice to have a degree to fall back on. And, and that's really one of the reasons I chose finance as well, because one, I knew it was multidimensional. It wasn't something like a teaching degree where if you get a teaching degree and then you realize you don't like to be a teacher, you're pretty much stuck. You got to go back and get another degree. Whereas if you get something a little bit more open ended, at least you can kind of test out different areas of, you know, of the business world and see if something fits, uh, you know, for you and what you want to do. Yeah, agreed. Great perspective. So you went off to South America. T tell us a little bit about that, where you went and what you did. Yeah. So it was uh, another one of those things that, you know, I, I really wanted to do it and I would regret not doing it. And I knew I wanted to start my own business after that. And I probably wouldn't have time to just take two months off and go travel around, uh, at least not to start until the business, like we said, was on autopilot. So uh, my wife was actually from Columbia originally. So uh, we were dating at the time and I had just quit my job in Chicago and I had always wanted to go down there. I had traveled quite a bit through Central America and really liked the Latin America travels and culture and kind of living locally. And uh, as far as South America goes, I really wanted to do the Inca Trail and go see Machu Picchu and that kind of stuff. So uh, we packed up and uh, we went to Colombia for about two weeks, visited her family and did some, you know, hiking and hanging out and seeing the, seeing the country. And then uh, she went back up to Raleigh, North Carolina to go back to work. And then I traveled around Ecuador, Peru and Bolivia for another six or seven weeks. So uh, really just wanted to kind of get away from everything as well as see parts of the world uh, that I know always put life back in perspective. Um, when you see these people that they're happier than almost any American and they have almost nothing compared to, you know, the average American where uh, it really does kind of change your perspective and realize that. Uh, we are pretty lucky and 
you know, we do have the opportunity to take those risks, to be a business owner, you know, to make a bunch of mistakes and still be successful at the end. So traveled around, did a bunch of outdoor stuff, biking, hiking, whitewater rafting, zip lining, uh, you know, pretty much everything that South America has to offer. Yeah, it's fantastic. What an experience. It's such an eye-opening thing. I, I had an opportunity as a child to live in Venezuela, and then I have family in Colombia as well. But, um, yeah, it really opens your eyes and gives you a whole different perspective that I think I think there's so many ways in that it applies to making us better people but better business owners and very, very tremendous experience you had there. All right, so you come back to Rally, and then at that point did you decide I need to look for a business? Is that where you were at? Yeah, so I I, I knew I wasn't going to – live the corporate world anymore. Um, so I was going to start my own business. Didn't really know what it was going to be around. I always loved sports, loved golf, uh, played sports my whole life, coached uh, while I was while I was in high school and college. So I, I had that in the back of my mind that I, I wanted it to be something around sports, um, you know, and then leveraging my business experience working in, in the finance world as well as my finance degree. So when I got back to Raleigh, uh, I actually got another uh, finance job to hold me over until I actually figured out what I wanted to do. So got a finance job, worked that for like eight or nine months. And about two or three months into that, that's when I found TGA. So TGA, I happened to find it in the Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the low cost uh, work from home type franchise startups. And to me, it was a perfect fit. It combines golf at the time, as well as, like I said, business and kids, which was a perfect fit for me, uh, as well as being able to work from home and not having to whole, having a whole bunch of overhead. So once I found it, I did my due diligence, did my research for a couple of months, made the decision to do it. And uh, I just continued to work in the corporate world for a couple more months just to save up some money, as well as, uh, you know, I could do a lot of stuff in the evenings and weekends to get my business foundation built so that when I did quit my finance job, uh, I was able to hit the ground running. Yeah, fantastic. You were able to make that transition. And so then we'll get a little bit more into the details of it, but this is a franchise that didn't require you to go build a brick and mortar location. It was a relatively low startup and it was something you could do on the side, right? Correct. Yeah. So I, like I said, I started it actually when I was still working, obviously, uh, You'll, you'll get a lot more return out of your investment if you do it full time. But yes, yeah, some some people do do it on the side because they do have a passion for it and it's a fun business. And like you said, it's a lot. That was one of the attractive things for me was it's low overhead. I, you didn't need a brick and mortar. It's a totally service based business. So you're going out and serving, you know, your clients. In our case, it was kids at elementary school. So we would go out to elementary schools and run these programs, which we can dive into more, like you said, a little bit later on. But yeah, didn't need a lot of overhead. Uh, and there really was no fixed cost. Everything was pretty much variable as you run programs. As you get bigger, you're running, you know, all of your expenses are mostly variable. Yeah. Great. And I'm going to come back to then how you then built that from, from one unit to four franchises and growing it. That's a fantastic story there as well. But then you decided to sell the business after you had grown it. What led you to decide to sell? Yeah, so uh, my personality has always been I'm always ready for a new challenge, even in the corporate world. Once I kind of figured out a job, uh, I was ready for the next job. So uh, to me, I had kind of got to where I really wanted to go. It was like like we said, pretty much on autopilot. I had put the systems and processes and people in place to, to have it more or less run on a day-to-day basis without me being there. Obviously, I was still there every day, kind of being the leader and, you know, bigger picture and support and making sure the team is happy and they got everything what they need. But as far as delivering the product, I, I didn't need to be there every day. So um, happened to be with a friend of mine who was a business broker and uh, they did their valuation based on what we had put in place, all the documents and all the you know statistics that we had. And uh, they gave me the high. They basically said at the high point, you could sell it for three X your net profit. And I said, well, if I can get that, I'll sell it. If not, I'll just keep building it and sell it for more, you know, six to 12 months down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't something that I really had to sell, but I was ready for a new challenge if uh, the right the right price came about. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs I talk to, including myself, tend to fall into that category that if the circumstances are right, if the terms are right, meaning in part if the price is right, then I would sell. And I think it's in part because most of us love the creative aspects of starting and building something, and then we're ready to move on. Is that, is that what I'm gathering with you as well, that that was part of it? Yeah, 100%. Like, I love the day-to-day stuff, building it, seeing it come to fruition, 
meeting with our team saying, okay, this is what we're going to do in the next three months. And then when we actually do it and it comes to fruition and then you continue to build, you know, that's, that's really what I enjoyed. I love the building part of it, putting everything in place. And then once it was kind of running itself, then I was kind of like, okay, now what, what's, what do I do next? You know, mm-hmm. I've kind of conquered this. And if, like I said, I got, you know, if the terms are right, I, w- I would definitely be open to selling it and make a good return on my investment. Otherwise, I'll continue to build it, grow it, uh, and then see what happens down the road. So 100% right in line with your thinking. Yeah, and it's such a hard decision. I, I, I've i sold a couple of different businesses, and it, it really is such a hard thing because no one can tell you for sure, all right, are you better off financially keeping it because it's making money and you'll make twice that? Or do I take the chips off the table, if you will, now and sell it? such a hard decision how who did you lean on for advice on that or was it very clear to you that this offer was good and let's move forward with it yes uh so i have a couple you know good close friends uh that have been in the business world much longer than i and reached out to them to kind of get their advice and then as well as my wife just kind of saying is this what we want to do next and uh you know what what does that money mean to us if we're able to sell it what kind of lifestyle can that create for us what kind of freedoms and then what can we do next with that so obviously reinvesting that investment into something else as well so uh it was pretty much a clear consensus and i trusted my gut feeling as well that you know this is the this is the right next move um and we just went ahead and did it. Yeah, that's the other thing that's such a difficult thing is where am I going to put this money now? Because in in most cases, we know as business owners, the best place to put it is in a business that I'm managing and generating. And so that's a tough part of it as well, right? Deciding where am I going to put this money that's going to give me equal return? Yes, exactly. And that that's, you know, some of the questions we definitely went over is where, where are we going to put it next? And how are we going to, how can we get, a better return than what we were getting with it already. Because like you said, you know, I took my first franchise and, and paid with that, paid, invested that outright. But then all the the next three, I just used all my business earnings to reinvest into growing the business. So it's like, okay, now we've made this larger return on everything. Now what do we do with this to continue to maximize it and not just, you know, sit around and get a little bit lazy and complacent. Yeah, you had bootstrapped to, to grow to where you were. Did that fall into the decision as well that now selling the, the exit in part was about recouping that investment because you probably had reinvested, I suspect, a lot of your profits back into growing. And now this opportunity to exit lets you cash in on that. Was that part of the decision making? Yeah, exactly. So I reinvested, you know, a lot of our profits into growing the business. So investing in three additional franchises as well as investing in people. So a lot of business owners think they just see their employees as a cost and they don't want to invest in them. And uh, for me to take it to the next level, I would take a little bit less off of my share so I could invest it into people, turn them into full-time workers so that we can then take the business to the next level. Obviously, when you're leveraging other people's time and your time, you know, the business's earnings is not no longer strapped to how many hours a day can you work when you invest in other people and train them the right way, then the earning potential of the business takes off. So, you know, definitely recouping that investment as well of, you know, what what did we build in the not only the money invested, but the time as well uh, to kind of recoup that and then have the ability to go do something else. So this sale happened uh, in 2015, right? Yep, in October 2015. Okay, so just a year now. Um, have you had any moments of regret? Uh, not really. Um, I mean, because I, luckily I'm still in the business kind of on a day-to-day basis since now I work for the franchisor. And that's really when I got in, why I got in the business in the first place is when I was in the finance world, I didn't really care how much money I, I made when I quit. It was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'll go make, you know, $30,000 a year doing something I love instead of, you know, making much more in the finance world and doing something I hate. So obviously that went away pretty quickly as I was able to scale the business. Um, So now that I'm still working with the franchisor, I still talk to the franchise owners every day and hear the stories, you know, of the impact that TGA is making. And now I actually have the opportunity to make even a bigger impact because I can work with franchise owners all across the country to help them grow their programs, uh, you know, to impact more kids. And then obviously on a local level, I still see a lot of the kids that we coached, whether I'm at the golf course, out playing tennis, at the grocery store. So that's pretty cool as well, just to see the kids that you had coached through time, you know, and that they're still doing what they love and they still remember you. And, you know, that that's really what the impact's been for me. Yeah, no, there's no doubt that that's 
that made it, that's made a difference and that you continue to be part of the impact that the business is making in the community. And so you're still reaping those rewards, if you will. I had asked that question because I've gone through it as well. And we all as business owners think, God, I missed the business or maybe I shouldn't have sold it. We all kind of have that seller's remorse, if you will, right. a little <laughs> bit of it anyway. So I was just curious. That's why I had asked. But more importantly, now you're back in working for someone else. It's not the corporate world because I suspect this organization is small by comparison and it's probably very entrepreneurial and very nimble, but you're still, you're working for someone else. How has that transition been after having been your own boss to going back to working <laughs> for somebody? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you know, you get used to just when you want to get something done, you just go do it. And uh, obviously when you're the boss, you can kind of do that and you have your team that you can kind of lean on to help make that happen. Uh, luckily, like you said, we are a very entrepreneurial organization. Uh, before this year, there was only like three or four of us. We've since grown the team. So now I think there's seven or eight of us. Uh, everybody else is headquartered in LA and I'm still here in Raleigh. So uh, that still gives me a little bit of the the feel of freedom is, you know, working I'm working with an organization, but I'm still working from home uh, and still kind of able to set my own schedule and, you know, get stuff done when I need to get it done. So, but it, it is obviously a little bit of a change just because you have, um, you know, other people that are now, I guess, your coworkers versus, you know, your employees. So uh, it, it is a little bit different, but I've adjusted pretty well just because I do have it's not like stepping into a brand new organization where you're kind of the new kid on the block. At least I did have all the experience and knowledge of the organization from, you know, from my years as a franchise owner. So it's been fun. I really enjoy it. I love talking. I basically speak on the phone with prospective franchise owners and work with them on their business plan and, you know, kind of market evaluation, financial evaluation. So I get to talk with people all over the country and then I still do support all the current franchise owners on a business development front as well. So it's, it's been a pretty, pretty good smooth transition. Yeah. And I got to imagine Paul, that you look at it as you'll do this for as long as there's value on both sides, right. And as long as it continues to work for you. Uh, but you are not, I have to believe now you feel like you're not trapped into this corporate position. You're doing this because you're enjoying it. You know, you're delivering value. You know, the company you're working for now is getting value. And as long as that continues to work, then you'll be there. Right. Yeah, a hundred percent. So obviously it's a lot different than when you're just kind of a number on the payroll. You know, when I, when I was working in the finance world, I was working for both really, really big banks that had, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand employees. So to them, it's like, if you didn't show up for a couple of weeks, they probably wouldn't know because it's such a big organization. <laughs> so how much value are you really doing? You're really just doing a process that at some point will probably be automated once they figure out how to automate it. Um, you know, whereas this, I'm delivering value to, you know, several different parties directly and indirectly, which which makes it still very rewarding. And yeah, if if it becomes to a point where we're not adding value and it's I'd rather go do something else, it's a lot easier when you're when you're not working in the corporate world and you've had that, you know, business experience before running your own business and then selling it. Yeah. Great, great insights. All right. I want to talk more a little bit now about starting and growing a business, but let's go back to the starting part of it. Obviously you went through it when you were looking to start a business. And now like you, we've talked about, you speak to people every day who are looking to perhaps start their first business. So looking back at the things you did, or maybe you didn't do, what are some of the tips you have for people as to some of those early steps they should take before starting a business? Yeah, I think the biggest one is to see if there's demand for your, you know, product or service, whatever you want to start. Go see if there's a demand for it. And a lot of people get kind of scared away by that because they see, oh, well, somebody else is already doing it. That means, you know, that that idea is out. I got to go find something new. But I think they get kind of caught up in the whole shark tank mentality as well. That like, wow, look at this new and greatest invention. And no one's ever thought of this before, which is fine. But pretty much every product and service at this point is a commodity. So, you know, if there's other people doing it, it means there's a demand for it. So don't be scared off by that. That would be really my first big tip of if you're thinking of starting a business, if somebody else is doing it, that's actually a really good sign because the difference in between, you know, say there's two businesses selling hamburgers, it's probably not as much in the food as it is the customer experience. Why do you go to this place over the other? It's because of the experience you get, the service you get, and they speak to you. They're, you know, So that's really, I would recommend everybody just kind of do their due diligence and see if there's other people doing it. And if there are, that's actually a really good sign. Yeah, great point. And going back to the Shark Tank example, I always tell people if you listen, 
Notice how a lot of times the questions the sharks will ask are related to, do you have an order for this? Do you have any demand? Have you sold any units? Do you have any revenue? What they're asking is that very question you're posing. Have you tested demand for this idea or product, right? So exactly. how, how did you go about doing that when you were considering the TGA franchise? Did you look at their track record to kind of answer that question for you? How did you know it would work in your local market? How did you test demand in that case? Yeah, so uh, the, the due diligence process that they allow the prospective franchise owners to go through, you know, is really good. So even back then, this was 2011, um, you know, they definitely make sure, and now I'm the person that makes sure, but at that time, they made sure that you did all this due diligence. So from a, a demand level on a local level, they actually allow you to, you know, call. So basically what TGA does is we run uh, golf and tennis enrichment programs for kids, mainly elementary schools. Uh, during the after school time period. So the business owner would hire a team, create, you know, and create these relationships with schools to then go run after school enrichment programs focused around golf or tennis. So a couple ways to make sure the demand is there. One is actually call the schools and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, we're thinking about bringing TGA to the area. Who would I need to talk to? What are your processes to get set up as an after school vendor? You know, so def just going right to the source and seeing if there's there's demand. And then the other part, is seeing what other after-school programs are out there. And if, if there are after-school programs, there's definitely a demand. So from a local level, that's, you know, that's really a good way to do it. More and more families are dual-income families, so they're, they're looking for childcare options after school and, you know, more than just babysitting. So when their kids can play golf or tennis, as well as uh, since it's an enrichment program, they learn a lot more than just the sport. They're going to learn academic lessons, life lessons, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, that kind of stuff. So it's all-encompassing enrichment program. So from a local level, that's really how I did it. And then on a national level, they actually allow you to call up other franchise owners and get their experience and get their insight in running the business and what's the hardest part and what's the best part and, you know, what are their struggles. And, you know, so it really did kind of put it at ease to, to me, I figured if, if these guys can do it, I can do it too, because there's a proven system and method that gets it done. Yeah, no, that's great points. And especially because it was one of the things I was thinking is you're selling into school districts, which are, there's a process to get in there. It's not easy. You don't just call on the owner, right? So, um, you had enough confidence that you actually could get to the right person. They would teach you how to get the franchisor would teach you how to get to the right people and then how to pitch them to get in that door. Cause that's gotta be one of the main barriers I have to think to this type of a business. Yeah, you're a hundred percent correct. You must have some experience with school districts because that's really what it is. You got the gatekeeper and you know, who is the decision maker and how do I get a meeting with them? Uh, and once you get the meeting, TGA pretty much sells itself. TGA provides all the equipment, provides all the staff, handles all the registration, provides all the marketing material. All we really need is a place to play. Uh, so once you get that meeting and the principal or athletic director or school board or whoever is the decision maker, they see it. They're like, wow, this is actually really cool. And I think our students would benefit from this and our parents would benefit from this. So, yeah, it's it's really a process to get into there. But luckily, TGA has been doing this since 2003 and has, you know, their proven script and sales method and marketing materials to make sure that happens. Yeah. And again, you're starting to touch on now, obviously, on why sometimes a franchise is the right way to go, especially if it's a first time business. And we'll we'll dive a little bit more into that. Did you put together any type of a business plan? Yeah, so I did. They actually, uh, TG actually provided and we still do provide kind of an outline for it. So looking at every moving piece of the business. So who's your competition? Where are you going to find staffing? Uh, what are your financial pro projections? You know, who are your prospective customers? Pretty much every moving part as far as evaluation and then putting it together in a plan of why are you getting into this business anyway? What is your end goal? And then working our way backwards from your end goal and your why to then put together a plan to actually get you there. So if your goal is, you know, in three to four years, make four to $500,000 because you want, you know, a better lifestyle and you want to impact a lot of kids or whatever your reason is for getting into this, then we're going to work our way backwards. Okay, how are we going to get to a half a million dollars in four to five years? And then, you know, it, it really is kind of a, you know, now it's me working one-on-one -on -one with these prospective franchise owners to, you know, make sure they are clear and they are comfortable and they got a good plan in place so that when, when they do get started, they can definitely hit the ground running. Yeah, well, that's a great approach. Now, this business in particular, 
what are you seeing nowadays in today's market as far as financing? How are people coming up with the capital? Are there most of these franchisees, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you got to keep it general, right? We're not divulging any secrets here, but are they borrowing their own money or using their own assets? Or are they going to traditional lending? What are you seeing for this type of franchise as to what people are doing to find the money? Yeah, luckily TGA is very affordable. So the initial investment on average is between fifteen to 18000 for each franchise. So they're separate franchises. You wouldn't have to do them both if you only want to do one or the other. Uh, if you wanted to do both, TGA does provide a 25% discount. So most people are using, you know, most of our, most of our new franchise owners, prospective franchise owners are people that are leaving the corporate world or they want to retire early and they, they do have the financial means to, to make this decision. So if they have, you know, say between 15 and $20,000, they can get started uh, with, with, with being able to run from home. There's not a lot of overhead and there's not a lot of other initial investment to get started. So that's, I think one of the really attractive things. And with it being turnkey, you can start bringing in revenue pretty quickly. And with all of your expenses being variable, you usually don't have to, pay out those expenses until you've already brought in some revenue. So I would say 90% of our, our franchise owners fund it, you know, they're self-funded and then maybe the other 10% would go get some sort of loan, usually, you know, like a home equity loan. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks for that insight. Yeah, no doubt. And there's a lot of franchises that fall into this category and it's a great way for a lot of people to get started in business because of that lower investment lower risk and something that you could potentially at least to start with, as you said, and as you did, do it while you still keep your job or your spouse keeps your job. And that's a way to transition. People are always looking and challenged with how do they make that financial transition. And this certainly allows for that. Yep, um, exactly. Okay, we talked about the process of selling, you did end up using a broker uh, to help you with that, correct? Did I get that right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So thinking back to the selling process, especially as you were preparing for selling, and this will segue into the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is systems. I know in my experience, the last business I sold, because of the systems that I implemented, I know for a fact that it added value to my business. What was your experience as to the value that your buyer saw because you had these systems in place? Yeah, I, that's 100% true. And actually, when I met with the brokers originally, they said, based on all these systems that you've put in place and all the documentation that you have, all the stats, all the demographics, I pretty much tracked everything because I was there's, – there's a book called Built to Sell, which we can get into later, but I was building my business to sell even if I never wanted to sell it. Just in case something happened or somebody took it over, I wanted to have all that information readily available. So uh, by – by putting those systems in place, the, the broker estimated that your business is worth two to three times more. So, you know, to me, that that was pretty, pretty fantastic. And obviously, uh, the, the buyer saw that as well. We actually had uh, a letter of intent within one week of putting the business out to market for the for the three X that, that I was looking to get. So I think that was, you know, it definitely validated what I had been doing and what the broker said uh, to get an offer that quick. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, two to three times, that's, that's incredible. And and so like you said, I completely agree that this approach of building it to sell from day one, even if you don't think that's your exit strategy, that's how we should build our businesses. Because now when you did get there, now the buyer, what they saw was a well-run business, clean books, very transparent. There was no gray areas as to what was what in the way of recognition of revenues or expenses. Everything was documented. There's systems in place. So for that person, what the buyer is looking at is how how turnkey can I make this? How easily can now I step in? Or is everything in Paul's head? And that's what they're evaluating to a great extent. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's that's really you know why I built it the way I did because I think the the changing part of it was when I asked myself you know early on what would happen to this business if I got hit by a bus and early on the business wouldn't probably survive more than a week without me just because I was doing everything. Right. Um, you know, so when you build a business to sell, it's not necessarily to sell it, but it's so that it can run without you, which means you have more freedom, you have more time and you definitely have more revenue. So that's, that was really kind of the, uh, the basis of it. And then, like you said, when they're, when the prospective buyers doing their due diligence, when you're, when you're, they're requesting all these documents and all these spreadsheets and all this information, and you can turn it over to them within 30 to 45 minutes, 
not only you know not only do they get all their information quickly but that also adds a little bit of credibility you know and value to what you've done because obviously like you said there are no gray areas based on all the information that you're providing yeah absolutely now it was a franchise so you had systems that you obviously got from the franchisor that's one of the key things that we get when we buy a franchise but then you you took it beyond that and you implemented those systems. But give us a little bit more about that. How, what what types of systems are we talking about here that you took and added or implemented? Just give us a highlight of that because I think sometimes people get hung up on what is a system. So explain that right. a little bit more to us. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, a, a fr when you invest in a franchise, you are going to invest in some sort of system that's been proven to work. And usually in the service-based world, that system is actually going to be your deliverable. So TGA had figured out how to deliver an after-school golf enrichment program or an after-school tennis enrichment program that anybody could do day in and day out. That's really what, you know, that's really what we hang our hat on is this, this curriculum is top-notch. Anybody can do it because we're going to provide you all of, the, all of the curriculums to do that. So in, in that sense, that was really the system that I was investing in, as well as the infrastructure that they provide, whether it's technology you know, or manuals and that kind of stuff as, hard, as far as how to deliver the product. So the systems that I really put into place was, you know, and a system really is doing the same thing, you know, doing the same thing the same way day in and day out. So for me, it was everything from communicating to customers all the way to how to communicate with your coaches, all the way, how do you, once you start building a team, you know, of a full-time people, the TGA model is really, you're, you're gonna hire a bunch of part-time coaches to go run your programs, but the business owner is still gonna kind of do everything else. Uh, and I didn't wanna do everything else, so then I started putting training systems in place, standard operating procedures in place to how I wanted things done, whether it was how to do a roster to get out to the school so they knew and the coaches knew who was going to be in this program to sending out email reminders to people at schools to say, don't forget your class starts next week. Click here to sign up today. So I used products like Camtasia, which is a screen recording software to create training videos for my staff, uh, using things like Slack to communicate with them. Uh, you know, so really implementing a lot of technology as well to train them and make sure that they have everything they need uh, to do the job, you know, the right way. Yeah, no, great stuff. So Paul, let's say we're talking now to someone who's listening who has an existing business and they don't really have much in the way of systems. They, they know it. I mean, people know it when they don't because again, everything revolves around them. They're the ones that have to do most of the hard work. All the questions have to go to that person, typically the owner. What's your recommendation now that you have this experience with systems as to where that small business owner should start in this process of developing systems for their small business? Where should they start? Uh, number one, if, if they're delivering the service still and they don't have anybody else to deliver the service, I think that's really where they start building their systems because then you can really start to leverage your time to get more people delivering the service. So uh, that's that's where I would start. Um, if you're delivering a service, if you're not, and you're you know you're you're already out of that, and you have a team out there delivering your service, then look at what do you really hate doing every day, and what would you just love to get rid of, um, and go from there. Because when you start, for me, once I started delegating the first couple of things, and saw that it, that the other people that were doing it were doing it right, then it really gives you kind of a you know a boost and a jump and some momentum to like, wow, this is really working. I can't wait to delegate more stuff. And on the flip side of it, the people you're delegating it to, they actually feel, you know, really empowered. They feel like they're a part of something bigger now and they really get to understand the business. So, you know, that's that's really where I would start. And the, the way I did it was I just literally wrote down everything I do. I documented myself for a couple of weeks and wrote down everything that I do on a daily basis and then kind of put them in silos and figured out where I could kind of create jobs around these to make sure they're kind of, you know, in alignment. And then the next time I did one of those tasks, I just started documenting it. So, you know, whether it's using a tool like Sweet Process, which is an application to, to create standard operating procedures, or if you're going to, you know, do training videos, however you want to do it, uh, just start and provide everything that the people need to then implement these systems so that you can sleep at night. Yeah, fantastic. Lots of tremendous value I think you've just shared there. So I want to go back and break down a couple of them. So what do you hate doing? I think what, what that it starts to identify is those things that are repetitive because again, as the business owner, as the entrepreneur, 
We don't, we understandably don't see value in that. We want to create the new thing. We want to evolve the business. We want to move the business forward. Maybe we want to land that next big deal. And that's where we should be concentrating. So that's a great point on where to start. And then your point on the person that we delegated to, guess what? Because they will enjoy doing that better than we will. They'll probably be a heck of a lot better at it. Like you said, it empowers your staff because now they continue to see that you do trust them in helping you build this business. And so it's a win-win all across the board. Yeah, to- totally agree. Um, couldn't, couldn't, have, couldn't have recapped it better myself. Yeah. Great, great, great stuff. So let's segue now into franchising. Uh, I am a believer, certainly, that for a first-time business owner, and that's not the only time. I mean, I I still, after the experience I have, will consider a franchise if it makes sense. But for the first-time business owner, why do you think they should consider a franchise? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the situation I was in. And it, it makes sense from a lot of different ways. One is you can start bringing in revenue right away through a proven system. So you don't have to go reinvent the wheel. This has been proven to work. And the amount that it would cost somebody to build what you're building and the amount of time to build what you, what's already been built would just take you know way too long. So say just using TGA as an example, when you have over 100 franchisees around the country, the buying power that you get from that and the defrayed cost that you get from that. So when we want to implement a new email automation tool or we want to implement a new flyer creation tool, anything like that, when you can defray the cost over a hundred different franchises across the country, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. Whereas for you to do that, if you wanted to go do it on your own, it's going to take a long time and it's going to take a lot of money. So from that standpoint, you know, first time business owners, I, I totally, totally agree with what you said. That's where I was. And for me, it made total sense because to do it on my own, it would have costed more than what my initial investment would have been, uh, not to mention the time lost, because obviously time is the most valuable asset. Yeah, no, great, great insight. And so that's one of the things we have to look for. But what else do you advise people that they should look for in a franchise in deciding, you know, is this the right franchise for me? And is it a good investment? What else should they look for? Yeah. When, so when you're doing your due diligence, definitely uh, they should allow you to uh, talk to other franchise owners. If not, I would be kind of questioning them because what are they trying to hide or why don't they want to share their stories of you know, other franchise owners? What kind of support are you going to get? Obviously, you're going to pay ongoing royalties. So what are you going to get for that? What kind of support are you going to get? Get for that. Uh, so make sure you have a good relationship. You know, you feel like you got some good uh, rapport with with the uh, franchise ors. You know, the people that at, are at the headquarters that you'll be working with. Uh, so those are two of the really really big things. And then definitely the the power of the internet. You can Google around and learn so much about so many things, including uh, a franchise opportunity. So. When people are unhappy or people are happy, they're going to talk about it. So definitely do your due diligence on that front as well. So that's that's kind of you know where I, where I went where I went when I was doing my due diligence. You know, talking to other franchise owners, digging deep. You know, if, if I'm going to write a check for fifteen thousand dollars, I want to make sure it's a good investment with good people that I trust and that has a good track record. So also see what kind of growth do they have. Uh, you know, what what do they got on the forefront? What do they have as far as in the media? Anything and everything that you can find on them, definitely take your time and do your due diligence because there's so many franchise opportunities out there. Uh, you know, you don't want to get pigeonholed into one that you then regret because usually there is going to be an agreement that you sign that you are going to be with them for a certain amount of time. So, you know, and lastly, make sure it's something you're passionate about. Don't just do it to get out of the corporate world, but make sure you have a passion for it because it is going to be something you're doing, at least if you're investing in a service-based franchise. Obviously, if you have quite a bit of capital invest and you're going to invest in, you know, something like a McDonald's, which is more or less, you know, another source of income stream where the owner is pretty much absent. Uh, if you're investing in a service-based franchise, definitely make sure you have a passion for it. Yeah, no, that, that last point is so critical because to your point, for most of us, when we're starting a first business or buying a franchise, either way, we're probably going to be heavily engaged, if not there on a regular basis, at least for the first five years until we get it built up. Then something in that range, yep. um, maybe a little less, maybe more. But so it has to fit in. And so you touched on this point earlier when you were talking about the business plan and making sure it's in alignment with your why. So that's that's I want to dive in a little bit more into that. How how do you go about making sure that it's a fit for you? 
when you looked at the TGA, you were combining, obviously, this desire to do your own thing, but you had this passion for sports and working with kids in sports. So that has to come into play as well when we look at a franchise, right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I was pretty much sold on TGA right away as far as the idea goes. So combining business with sports with kids, I mean, that was like an ideal thing for me. I could, I was able to impact my community around sports that I love, you know, and not only that, but I got to hire a bunch of coaches who also love doing this. And they were so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be able to go out there every day and impact kids as well. So, you know, for, for me, the idea of TGA was a no brainer. Then it was really doing all that other due diligence to make sure it's actually a good business model that they put together and they got a good track record uh, and they have happy, you know, successful franchise owners. Yeah. Well, well said. Would you recommend someone use a franchise broker to find a franchise that's a fit for them? Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't do it, but it's not, so I don't really have much experience with them. Obviously they, a franchise broker does have a lot of experience, you know, in the franchise world. Um, So I wouldn't, vote for or against it. But definitely, if you are going to hire a broker, you know, do your due diligence on them and make sure they do have uh, your best interest. Because I know some of them, based on what I've heard, you know, they're they're not going to get paid until the franchise sells. So make sure that they don't just want to sell a franchise, make sure they want to serve you before actually selling that franchise. Yeah, good points. All right, let's take a bit of a personal turn here as we start to wrap it up. Looking back on your life, what do you think have been some of the keys to your success in life and in business? Yeah, so I think, you know, it starts back when when you're a kid and, you know, what what did, what did you do growing up? What did you like doing? What did your what did your family do? Uh, you know, so if we start all the way back there, that that's really where it started. I I love sports and I to be honest, I really liked working because I liked making money. So I liked selling stuff. I liked buying stuff and selling stuff. Uh, I liked just having a job. My first job, I was 14 and I was a dishwasher making 5.15 an hour. Uh, and I got a raise to 5.25 after about a year or two. So, uh, you know, I, I think just that work ethic was in, you know, really instilled in me from the beginning, probably from my family. You know, my my dad was working crazy hours. He was working two jobs. Uh, my mom was working and raising us. So that work ethic is something that you really can't learn. I think everything else you can learn, but it's all the other intangibles that that really make you who you are. So what kind of struggles did you have to go through? Um, you know, what kind of things did you have to persevere through? And then how did that make you who you are today? So, you know, really by doing that and just as you go along, just continuing to learn and you know, once I once I got out of college and started working in the in the real world, as you want to call it, then that's when when I really realized from a business sense that, you know, there there's more there's more to life than than what you're doing if you're doing something that you don't have a passion for. And I saw so many people that I worked with, you know, they didn't have a passion for it. They complained about it and they weren't happy, but they continued to do the same thing. And to me, that just made no sense at all. So really, just learning from whoever comes into your life, learning something from them and using that to get you where you want to go. Oh, great, great insights. Thanks for sharing that. And Paul, what would you say you love the most about what you do today? Yeah, I mean, I just love talking to other people and helping them get to where they want to go, whether it's, you know, from a personal level, people are using a business to get to where they want personally, or, you know, professionally, they don't want to do what they're doing anymore. Uh, and they want another opportunity. So being able to help people get them to where they want to go, uh, is really rewarding, whether it's a current business owner that needs systems and processes, you know, and putting all those things together, uh, or it's prospective franchise owners that are looking for something more, looking for something better. And uh, we have that solution. And I think what makes it all worth it is the product and service that we're delivering is impacting kids, which, you know, is to me, that's really the why is why. That's why I'm still doing what I'm doing today. That's fantastic. So we've touched on it a lot. You've just touched on it again. Give me the 30-second elevator pitch on TGA. So yeah, TGA stands for Teach, Grow, Achieve. And our mission is that we believe sports change lives. So the way we do that is by empowering uh, local entrepreneurs to invest in a franchise to then go out and impact kids in their community through after-school enrichment programs, summer camps, parent-child events, uh, leagues, and anything to get them involved, meeting other kids, and staying active. Fantastic. All right. So book recommendation, you mentioned built to sell. Uh, is that your book recommendation? Do you have another one you would recommend as well? Yeah, I think built built to sell in E-Myth. If you're a business owner or looking to be a business owner and just getting started, I would say those are the first two books to start. 
to really get your wheels turning. And then after that, there's so many resources out there to actually learn the how to do these things. But, you know, to learn the why of why you're going to build your business this way, uh, Built to Sell by John Warlow, I believe, and then uh, E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, too. I, I would say must read books for anybody owning their own business. Completely agree. Read both. E-Myth is one of the most recommended books for everybody that I speak with. And to me, it's a must read. So we'll have links to those recommendations on the show notes page for this episode. And you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. All right. Final two questions, Paul. Parting piece of advice or thought for our listeners? Yeah, I would say uh, whatever you want to do, just go do it. Um, the worst case scenario is not as bad as you think it is. And every time you make a mistake, you're going to get one step closer to getting to where you want to go. Nothing successful was built without making mistakes. Nothing was learned without building. Nothing was built without making mistakes. And that's the only way you're going to learn is by making mistakes. So don't be too afraid. Fail forward and uh, go make your dreams happen. Yeah, well said, well said. And where would you like our listeners to go online to find out more about you and TGA? So yeah, so if you want to connect with me personally, you can just head on over to Twitter. My Twitter handle is just my first and last name, Paul Maskill. Uh, that would be probably the best way to reach out to me, or you can find me on Facebook if you want to hang out on Facebook. And then if you are interested in the TGA opportunity, we do have a welcome page for all of your listeners. If they just go to franchisetga.com slash the how, that'll have a little bit more information about the TG opportunity as well as a way for you to, uh, if you want to reach out and schedule a call or submit more information about the, about your interest, head on over there. So that's franchise TGA.com slash the how. Wonderful. And we'll have links to that as well on the show notes page. Paul, it's been a uh, great chatting with you. You've shared a lot of great information, great insights. I've learned some things and thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Henry. I look forward to staying in touch. Same here. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.